friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. everyone welcome back to becoming buffy we are really excited to talk about this episode and i think we say that every time but or at least okay i shouldn't speak for us i'm really excited to talk about this episode because i found out some really cool behind the scenes stuff and some really like fascinating tie-ins to um, episodes we've covered before and episodes that are coming in the future but we were actually just talking right before this about how this episode is not one of our season two favorites which I was really surprised about because I definitely went into this episode going, oh yeah, I really like this episode. And then as time went on, I realized, oh, I don't think I really like this episode as much as I thought I did. I I actually like the backstory of this episode, the information it gives us, the development it does for so many characters yeah. I absolutely love. And so for that reason, I really love this episode. But the actual like graphics and like- yeah plot of the episode and stuff are not my personal favorites. I think my takeaway was like I just kind of wanted more. Um yes. Like I yeah, wanted I agree. more I wanted flashbacks. I think that would have saved the episode. And I think mm. that like see I yeah, I don't know. It's it's not a bad episode. I just kind of feel like there's something missing. Yeah. And I can't like quite put exactly. my finger on what it is. It's a it's a really it's got all the really good stuff there. I've been I was actually reading a lot of um reviews for when this episode first came out and a lot of the critics said the same thing. Oh no way. Yeah, they were saying how the last two episodes, Lie to Me and Halloween, were such phenomenal episodes. They just knocked it out of the park. And this one, they said they felt like the bones were really good, but they didn't quite – like the characters didn't know really what they were doing in the episode. Um, And it just kind of seemed like it floundered a little bit. I – I don't know. I have to go back and read it again to see exactly what they said. But I kind of agree. As I was watching, I was like, something is missing and I can't tell exactly what it is. Yeah, I agree. I think there are some cool aspects to it, and I'm, like, thankful that we could see a little bit of Ripper Giles, but I feel like if we're going to talk about Ripper Giles, I'd want to see him in action, and I feel like Giles was kind of, like, scared, which, understandably, I'm not blaming his character for that. You're like, don't be scared, Giles. Right, but, like, if we're going to talk about, like, the old past Ripper Giles, I'd want to see, like, him current Ripper Giles Mm -hmm. in action. I feel like that would have been so cool to see, even though I understand the direction that they were going. Yeah, 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 totally. And yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it is. And I, it's funny because, okay, I'm ashamed to say this, but I don't think I've seen this episode very much. And Me I think too. it's because I don't like it. But as we were watching the beginning when it showed like the flashback with like the seance and all that other yeah. stuff, I was like, I don't remember this at all. And that is like <laughs> uncommon for me. Like I'm used to like knowing every single shot of Buffy. Um, and so I was like, ooh, I'm excited. And then as I started getting into it, I was like, oh, I remember this. So yeah. I don't know. I just wish they would have had – I wish that they would have kind of like what Ty said. I wish they would have had like taken – just a little, like, maybe 10 minutes of the episode to just show back stories instead of, like, doing it in these weird, you know, flashes in the nightmares. Like, I would have preferred just to see it in a flashback. Well, also, I would think it would have been cool to, like, 
see, and this again would go into the flashback part, but see the relationship he had with all of those friends so that mm, it would be a lot more yeah. impactful. So when yes. they're coming back and they're being all zombie like and he's all scared, then I'd actually be scared with him. But I wasn't because I was like, yeah. wasn't invested. We know nothing about Ripper Giles at this point other than Ethan Rain. And I, I will give them credit though when he was crossing out the list and it just showed him and Ethan. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool because we already yeah. know who Ethan is. Right. So it kind of gives you a little bit more of like a taste of what's been happening. But I feel like flashbacks showing all of them together doing stupid things, like messing with the magics, as they call it. Um, and I think it would have been cooler. And then seeing now. Yeah, I'm just not sure. I, I, I like thought about it all day. I'm like, what is it that this episode is missing? And I just mm-hmm. am not 100% sure. It's just it's a lot of talk. And I think that's what's so frustrating is in an episode that so heavily centers around like Giles being, you know, the super cool BA guy in the past. All we really see is just a lot of talk. Mm, yeah, and it's like we could there could there should have been a little bit more action when it came to Giles. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's so much they're trying to progress in this episode. They're yeah. trying to progress Buffy and Giles' relationship. Giles and Jenny's, even though I guess you could say they took like five steps back in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's a, and we'll get to it, but there's a lot of other characters that they're trying to move things forward. And so I think that kind of bogged down what was actually happening in the rest of the episode. Um, so yeah, but let's, before we get too deep into it, I just wanted to remind everyone that this is the spoiler-free section If you've never been here before, hello, welcome. Also to remind everyone, we also have an Instagram page, Becoming Buffy Podcast, where we have some really good dialogue with people. I've been loving the discord we've been having on some of our like our past posts people been dming us and telling us some fun facts and behind the scenes or even pointing out some really cool stuff that's happening in the episode that we maybe we've missed um i'm just really enjoying it so you can check that Mm -hmm. out you can also email us at becoming buffy podcast at gmail.com if you have something that's a little bit longer than what would fit in a dm um but we just love talking with fellow buffy lovers and we want to hear from you um tell us what you think about this episode So with that, let's get into this episode because for all the stuff (laughs) I've been saying about it, all the crap, I actually have quite a few really cool tidbits and details. And this is our first Giles-centered episode, which is exciting. All right. So The Dark Age, Season 2, Episode 8, which when I wrote it, I was like, what? We're already in Episode 8. I know. (laughs) That's insane. Well, at this point in Season 1, we were like almost done with it, basically. That is true. That is true. But I also just think it's like season two, which is so ironic because season one is so much shorter. Season two flies by, in my opinion. Like, yeah. even the fact that, like, we're already in episode eight. I, like, I feel like we're still in, like, episode two of season two. Like, I feel like we have not done that much in season two. So it's insane that we're, like, almost halfway there now. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I love that Buffy is such a slow burn. And so then when the action happens, you feel like you were hit and you're like, whoa, what's going on? Like yeah. everything just comes together though. So. All right. So The Dark Age, written by Dean Batali and Rob Dace Hotel. Um, they are the script writers for Puppet Show and Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, which makes a lot of sense because I felt like Never Kill a Boy on the First Date had a lot to do with Buffy and Giles' relationship. We're also back in the morgue, which is the only other time that we've is been in the morgue. They <laughs> have a weird true. finish with the morgue then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like similarities and stuff. It was directed by Bruce Seth Green, who we've seen many times so far. And the themes of this episode are actually drug addiction, ODing, and the relapse, which I think is really I- interesting. 
I picked up the drug addiction because they talk about when the demon is in your body that you get this euphoric, Mm -hmm. like, incredible high. And, I mean, they talk about it later on and we'll get there. So I definitely picked up themes of, like, drug addiction and drug abuse. Well, and not just that. I mean, they they make references to Giles at home drinking. It could also be, like, alcoholism, too. You also Mm -hmm. have where their tattoos are located is where you would insert a needle. Like, there's just a lot of stuff. It's just very interesting how they have um, all those little metaphors and stuff in there. Um, And I wanted to talk, since this is our first episode that is Giles-centric, a little bit about Anthony Stewart Head and his audition process and kind of his background and stuff. Um, He was actually the first character, and I think we've said this before on here, but he was the first character to be cast on Buffy. He walked in and they they knew immediately that he was what they were looking for. Did we talk about that beforehand? I thought we did. Maybe we didn't. That's crazy. I did not know Giles was or Anthony Head was the first one to be cast. I thought it I was mean, it Sarah. Sense. Nope, he was the no, first. No, she character. was like one of the last yeah. ones to be casted. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I will say like that makes sense because I feel like a lot of the show is obviously centered around Buffy, but I I feel like a lot of where the show got its like kind of dual nature can sometimes come from. Anthony Stewarthead slash Giles. Sure. Well, he adds a little bit of humanism to the show because you have an adult who's a part of the main gang, which I think is really mm-hmm. clever. In a show that's about adolescence, you have an adult who's part of the main cast, you know? But also, yeah. like, really kind of like what Leah said, humanizing him in this episode where it shows him, like, even Buffy says, she's like, mm-hmm. I always kind of view adults as, like, I don't remember what she says. She's like, but I realize you're just human. Yeah. It's like when you see like adults or older people kind of go through stuff that you can relate to or you see them struggle with stuff. You're like, oh, like they're not perfect. They go through things. Yeah. Right. So Anthony Stewart Head is from Camden Town, England. He has his roots in musical theater. He's appeared in British theaters in the Rocky Horror Show, Julius Caesar, The Heiress, and many, many more. Who did he play in Rocky Horror Show? Was he Frank Inferter? Oh, yeah. No, he did. Yeah, he played. He played Frank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That means he would have had to sing the song Sweet Transvestite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yep. And yeah, so Rocky Horror Show, Julius Caesar. So that's kind of like his roots in where he grew up um, and how he got involved in everything. And then in America, hilariously enough, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. I'm betting you haven't. But his claim to fame before he started in Buffy was he was in Taster's Choice coffee commercials as the coffee guy. You guys should look it up. So Taster's Choice did a brilliant job with their their marketing company. They basically made like a short film and broke it down into multiple different like commercials and like released them as commercials for their coffee and they were like romantic and Giles was like the coffee guy and it was all like him having dates with this mysterious woman they are bonding over coffee and stuff and he became like super not super famous but he became known in America as the coffee guy because he was like super sexy with his like British accent and (laughs) which is hilarious because he's British and they drink tea so like I actually saw them before I ever saw Buffy and it was like really weird watching Buffy afterwards that's crazy that he got such a serious role off of like a lot of random gigs yeah they were like, this guy embodies what we want Giles to be because they wanted somebody that had layers to him and was, you know, good looking, but also like could do drama and could do comedy. And Was this his first like big role? 
Because I know he was he had, in like some war movie like a long time ago because I looked up pictures because I want to see what young Giles looked like. Um, or I guess young Tony. But I didn't really see <laughs> young that he was in a lot beforehand. I don't remember. I know he was in one TV show before this. I don't remember what it was called, but this I is... know what shows he was in after this. Yeah, sure. Merlin yeah, and Doctor Who. Yeah. This was, I think, his biggest break for sure. But I know he was in at least one TV show right before this. Sorry. I did not look up a ton and ton of stuff. But interestingly enough, he was asked to visit an American high school library in order to research his role as Giles, the librarian. Um, so the librarian he interviewed was thrilled at the prospect that a librarian would be featured so prominently in the show and played by a handsome man. And she said, it was really good to have a spokesman for librarians because somebody could finally tell the true story of the hard time that librarians have. For instance, <laughs> she said, did I know that there were more libraries in state prisons than there were in schools? Oh, dang. Yeah, which I did not know, but I think that's yeah. funny that she's like, librarians have it so hard. I mean, Giles is a librarian has it hard. <laughs> that's true. I don't, I don't know if all librarians have it hard. Yeah, not that hard. Most librarians aren't watchers. Yeah, that is true. Um, Tony says, I don't think Giles is a very good librarian, actually. No one ever comes into his library. <laughs> the library is no, all over the place, true. and I think that's part of his charm. <laughs> Tony Head was very surprised by the strong reaction to Giles as a sex symbol. I have played a number of types before now, Tony says. I have to thank Jerry Baker of the Buffy Hair Department, because when I first sat down in our chair and we talked about what we were going to do, I suggested parting my hair on the side and flattening down for a really, really geeky look. She said, no, please don't do that. <laughs> You're a good looking man. And I promise you there are going to be women out there who'd much rather see you looking attractive. So I said, all right, fair enough. So I'm thankful to her because otherwise Giles wouldn't have had any fans at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. I was dying. And, and apparently back in its heyday, he had a ton of librarian fans. Like people. <laughs> he has like a whole fan club base from libraries. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. The librarians were so excited and they would send him like like stuff all the time and we're like <laughs> he's like what do i do with this i'm not actually Giles. well they had no. him on posters in their libraries to like encouraging people to read <laughs> that is that's so i'd funny. actually walk into a library if i saw rupert giles painted everywhere <laughs> hey, hey marketing works right i know and then I thought this is interesting, especially too, because we really see Giles's apartment in this episode. It says, in addition to soliciting his input on his character's appearance, Tony had been consulted by the Buffy production staff about how to decorate his haunts, the library, his office, and his apartment. He and production designer Carrie Mayer share a love of art deco, which shows in Giles' furnishings. Tony suggested having a bedroom loft. He decided that Giles had at one time been an archaeologist, and so there are photographs and memorabilia about his digs in his school office. He based this part on his characterization of a friend from his youth who is or was a librarian and an archaeologist and was fascinated by the occult. How random. <laughs> I can kind of see it because in Inca Mummy Girl, you kind of see his little like archaeologist brain kind of taking over. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As he's like putting together Ampata seal. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All to be... All to be broken. I get Indiana Jones vibes from him in that episode. Yes. Well, I mean, his tweed suit. I think yeah. Indy wore a tweed suit as well. When he was professor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then Tony said that his suggestions for Giles' transportation, his suggestions were not heated. 
I was severely pitching for a motorcycle and sidecar with Sarah on the back of a 1950s, 1960s BSA, an English bike. You used to be able to get a double sidecar. Willow and Xander would ride there. I think I got the image from the Aristocats. (laughs) Oh, my word. That is so funny. Oh, and then he said, but Joss says there are times for humor and times for seriousness and rolling up like that in a moment of great urgency would not work. True. (laughs) Yeah. And he comes from a musical family. His mother is an actress. His father is a documentary film producer. Um, Yeah. And his brother sang the role of Judas in the original recording of Jesus Christ Superstar, which going into the episode, the rift, the guitar riff that Buffy is dancing to, the music is taken from the song, like it's sampled from the song that uh, Anthony Head's brother actually sings in there, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. So anyway, I know that was a really long introduction, but I think it's important because Tony Head is a huge part of Buffy and I love all that behind the scenes stuff and hopefully you guys do too. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank all you, right, Sarah, for all the information. You're welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I'm the Giles of our podcast. I just sit here and give a bunch of exposition, and then Leah and I just I, make stupid jokes. The whole yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, unfortunately, Tops, we are the Xander of the group. <laughs> oh no! Don't say that. <laughs> Can I be the Cordelia? I'd rather be the Cordelia. <laughs> no, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So with that bunch of exposition, that avalanche of information you all have in your heads now. (laughs) Let's actually start the episode. So we open up with some pretty great music. Hats off to Christoph Beck for coming up with amazing music each episode. I just, it all sounds very different. So good. There's a man in a suit in a briefcase who is running frantically around the dark school and asks this janitor for Mr. Giles. Which... Uh, can I just say, I have never seen the janitor at this school. I was about ever. to say, yeah. I, we've seen the janitor's closet because we know Cordelia was in there for out of mind, out of sight. But I've never seen this man before in my life. Like, I've never seen the janitor. And so it's so funny to me that he's there so late. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he is outside, though. So maybe he spends a lot of his time in other areas other than the library. You know, I mean, we, we aren't really in the school after hours other than just being in the library. Either way, this janitor's here, and whether it's a plot device or not, he tells the man in the suit to head to the building with the library, and the music continues to get super intense, and then you hear, like, this moaning, and there's, like, a shadow of a woman, which is terrifying. Yep. I, I will say, as this man's, you know, fearing for his life, and then it switches to Buffy <laughs> and Giles... This scene gave me major, major Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie vibes. I was about to say. Wow, yeah, that that yeah. was a that was a mouthful to say, but because like she's like working out and it's loud music and it because there's that whole montage in the movie yep. where she's like yep. working out. The clothing is very similar. It's very bright. Yeah. Like and even the style of how she's working out is very like how she did in the movie. And the fact that Giles is just sitting there like observing it, like I th- I'm. 100% convinced it was supposed to be like an homage to the movie. I wrote that down too, Leah. That's really funny because well, her outfits are like really like clashing and really neon, which is what Kirsty Swanson wore in like all of the movies. She wore very clashing yeah. bright colors. And Buffy, like Buffy wears colors, but she wears a lot of pastels. She doesn't wear a lot of like bright in your face yeah. colors. And so Sarah Michelle Gellar's uh, Buffy doesn't wear a lot of like neons. And so, like, her outfit choices just seem very opposite 
what Sarah Michelle Gellar's Buffy would wear. As much as I don't really like this episode that much, I will say this episode, I forgot kind of how creepy it is. Like rewatching yes. it, I was like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm actually kind of a little creeped out. Like the beginning scene um, or like later on with like Jenny as like the demon. I'm like, oh, like it's actually kind of scary. I also feel like what would have made the episode feel a little bit better is instead of having the weird like the demon dissolves and then like so absorbs into someone like instead of having that like they could have just had like a you know the body just kind of drops and it's kind of implied that they jumped into a different body like I feel like it could have been done a little bit better yeah the ooze just looks incredibly fake yeah or that the spirit kind of leaving them like how they sure I don't know have like some sort of Something goes into their mouth. Yeah, and nose exactly. Or something like that. Yeah, they did no, that in so absolutely. many other movies and episodes. I'm like, might as well do it in this one. But the goons yeah. is so weird to me. Yeah. Well, I okay. I think their intention behind that is to show that this person is. There's no way they're ever coming back. Like they're dead. They've completely dissolved. And so when Jenny mm. becomes has Igon inside of her, you're like, crap. Jenny's gonna dissolve into goo. You know what I mean? Right. Like it makes it a little scarier because it's <laughs> not like we can just reanimate could you imagine i mean this might sound dark but could you imagine if like, jenny oh, no. had jenny had died until she like dissolved into goop and like giles was just sitting there like sobbing over goop like that would have been <laughs> really funny <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's so dark no but i'm just saying I think like it would have been so they, disgraceful of jenny's character to go yeah to go out in that way i mean obviously they wouldn't because like it's a random episode in the middle of the season like i don't think jenny's just gonna die and dissolve into goop but like <laughs> it just like obviously I, it, like could you imagine if that's how you have a death on the show like you just dissolve into goop i'd be like, so how, pissed i would go straight to joss whedon's office and be like <laughs> what the heck is this like can i at least die and have a burial instead of like being drawn in the river or something yeah you're like freaking ford had a better death than yeah I know. jesse in the first season had a better death <laughs> yeah. than this yeah exactly. he didn't even have like a burial though yeah but it's better than dissolving in a goop yeah w- would you rather than like explode into dust or something is that better i mean getting dusted as a vampire would be a way better death than just dissolving Anyways, and then we talked about how the music is very similar to the guitar riff um, from the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. It's specifically the opening from the song Heaven on Their Minds, which is sung by the character Judas Iscariot, a role originated by Anthony Stewart Head's older brother, Murray Head, which I think is really cool, like a little nod to that. Mm. I like the like cool parallel moment where Giles is uh, annoyed by the music that Buffy is playing <laughs> and he's like oh yes my um, I'll just listen to this until my brain bleeds out of my ears <laughs> it's not noise it's music <laughs> yeah but then he has like that moment where when she like turns it off and he's like oh the rest is silence and then that's when the the body kind of drops to the ground and dies yeah yeah no I, I put that down too I think that was a really cool transition I think like when we were talking with Rebecca for school hard she talks about how you can tell a show is intentionally done when they have excellent transitions because they mm-hmm. actually care about segueing and moving you through each scene versus being mm-hmm. like then this then this you know yeah, so we find out the guy's name was Philip and the woman's name was Deirdre. And I think it's interesting because at this point in the episode, you don't know that they're not zombies. Like she looks very much like a zombie. So I thought that Giles's um, line where he talks about how his brain dribbles out his ears kind of gave like a little nod to zombies. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I always get a little frustrated with Philip in this moment because he just like sits there and takes it from Deirdre. And I I'm know. like, dude, run. <laughs> If someone wasn't – like, if I was knocking on a door and someone wasn't coming, I would run anywhere else. Like, 
I may not be able to fight. I mean, I don't be able to do any of this else, but I definitely can outrun a zombie person. Yeah. So Philip gets choked out by Deirdre. They fall to the floor and Deirdre turns into blue goo. And then we have an interesting moment where the scene opens up after the credits with Giles dreaming, which I thought was really interesting. And I'm sure you guys picked this up too, because we're used to Buffy having dreams like this. And so to open up on something that is Giles's dream from the past, no less, and is a part of his life is really an interesting parallel to make because Buffy has dreams about a horrible future. Giles has dreams about a horrible past. Well, I also think that like in this episode, there was many, many times where you kind of saw Buffy and Giles's roles switch. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I think that that's kind of part of the reason why they wanted to open up like this was to show that like one, that this was Giles centered, but also two, just the fact that like Giles is going to go through something that Buffy kind of goes through, if that makes mm. sense. I think it would have been a boring episode if it was Giles-centric and they didn't show his weakness in the process. Oh, or yeah. even his past. Exactly. Yeah, I think it would have been kind of boring if it was like, oh, Giles was everything right, you know? That would be a boring episode. Um, but I do think that they really, like, hammered the nail on the head with this one. I think it was, like, really showing how, like, much he was struggling, which made it interesting to watch. Yeah, and I mean – these are our flashbacks, which were like not good enough, not long enough, but mm-hmm. I mean, they are interesting. We see a Ouija board, I think, um, strange marks and candles, and then the mark being tattooed onto someone. It's like a guitar riff going on. And then you see like several hands put together in a circle and a man saying time to go to sleep, um, then screaming. And then his face looks like a demon's, which is actually like you said, Tabs, is very terrifying. That's the one thing mm-hmm. I always remember about this episode. It is very creepy. Yep. And then Giles wakes up, and this is the first time we've really seen Giles' home in detail. Like, we've seen his bedroom. We've seen um, really, like, the full inside of his house. It's it's really it's really interesting, and, like, like I talked about earlier, it looks like an archaeologist would have lived there. <laughs> yep. So back at school, Buffy and Willow are playing anywhere but here. It's such a cute game. I know. I love these little moments. I think I say this every episode. I love these little moments that show their friendship. It's just really sweet. Yep, I I love how uh, they're both like saying they're like little fantasies, and then uh, after Willow's Buffy goes, "You have such an eye for detail." Well, I mean, she does. She's talking about like eating ziti in Paris and like all this stuff. I was like, yeah, wow. she's like, she's like, give such an eye for detail, and she's like, cause the ziti. <laughs> she's like, notice all the details. I love how they include Xander in this game. It <laughs> kind of kills or he, me. He's more like he includes himself, <laughs> and he has like the yeah. same fantasy every time. Apparently, hey, I mean, guys consistent. That's true. Of all the things, he is consistent. Yeah. So they talk about if Giles has ever played. Willow thinks he might have been restless in his youth, but Buffy thinks his diapers were tweed. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Buffy's outfit is adorable. She's got a little halter top and that white miniskirt. She has some really cute ones this episode. Agreed. Yeah, I really love her wardrobe in this episode. So Giles shows up and says that tonight is important since the medical transport is bringing the monthly supply of blood to the hospital, which this is really interesting because, of course, the vampires would want to get a hold of this. This gives me major Vampire Diaries vibes because they always like suck on like the the, um, – Oh, the blood blood bags? bags. Yeah. Yeah. And then they always go to the hospital to steal them if they're like really going through cravings. I also – I like how he's like – Tonight's super important. And then Buffy goes, well, that's surprising. (laughs) She's like, yeah, we know. It's always important. 
And then they agree to meet at 8.30. Giles is like, I'll bring the weapons. Buffy's like, I'll bring the party mix. <laughs> yep. He says, oh, oh, yeah. He's like, can you take this seriously? And she's like, when have I ever let you down? And he goes, would you like me to answer or just glare? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. I think this is the third time since like the beginning of the show that someone has tried to school Giles into letting him know this is the 20th century now as if he's living in the past this is literally the third time that I think one of the times was um Miss Calendar said it to him in the first episode she was in it was um I robot you Jane and then there was another time but she says it she's like um I realize that Henry Higgins bit may have been the mod around your generation, but a lot has happened since then, like the 20th century, for example, which I think is funny because he's like, I mean, he, I feel like his role in the group is always kind of bring people back to what they're supposed to be doing. So obviously he has that stereotype of like being stuck in the past and being too stiff, which again is like genius for this episode because you kind Mm -hmm. of have seen him so much in that role. And even they make jokes before he comes in that he's that character and then it gets flipped on its head in true Buffy fashion. It gets flipped on its Anthony Stewart head. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you make fun of me for my puns, Please dude. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Well, I want to say that, like, <laughs> yes, it does flip itself on its head. Leah, get it together. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. But at the same time, like, in a lot of ways, Giles is stuck in the past. And not necessarily in how he dresses and stuff, but because he's so caught up in the mistakes of his past. Yeah. In absolutely. a lot of ways, it paralyzes him and doesn't allow him to move forward. And that's why this episode is important. He reminds me a lot of Angel in this episode. Mm-hmm. Very, like, mm-hmm. self-punishing, very brooding, very, like, mm-hmm. you know, I've made so many mistakes I can't even function and get myself to do the right thing because that's very much what Angel was like in the first season was like I've done so many things wrong I I shouldn't even be allowed to do something right yeah and like once you allow your past and like past mistakes to control you it's very paralyzing It's, it's a very it's a mental block that you have to physically go through you're like it's crazy how your brain can like control your whole body that sounds so stupid but it's true like i remember being in softball oh, it's true yeah i remember being in softball and they kept saying it's all mental it's all mental and i was like this is so stupid like if i have like the talent for it which i didn't really but if i have the <laughs> talent for it then i can do it you know but it was all mental for me i feel like every time i screwed up it was all because i was just in my head you know yeah well and i think this episode again is also a metaphor for addiction and stuff. And I think when you are someone that is fighting addiction, you're never recovered. You're always recovering. And it's something, it's a battle Mm -hmm. you have to fight every single day. And so I would imagine that is probably something to where you have to find that balance of moving forward with your life, but also constantly like remembering and fighting and never letting yourself get to the point where you relapse again. You know, like you, there is like a balance of not stay in the past, but also remembering the pain that you went through and having a motivation for moving forward and then being like, all right, I'm not gonna let that hold me back. If that makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. So, yeah. So then Jenny comes up. I love, she's like, hello, England. Oh, so yeah, cute. I know. And Will is like, feel the passion. And Xander's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved his face in this, in this moment. And then Jenny's like, Willow. And then you find out that Willow's helping Jenny in computer class for extra credit and that Xander and Cordelia both have to go, which I yep, think is hilarious. Of <laughs> always Xander and Cordelia. I will say I was like, woo, Buffy must be doing well in computer class then because she doesn't have to go. And I was yeah, like, she wow, didn't force Buffy? her to go. 
Mm-hmm. And she was yeah. the only one who wasn't forced to it. And I feel like if I were Jenny, I'd be like, oh, might as well have Buffy come too. But she didn't. So maybe she's doing good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, they also know she's the Slayer as well. So I would imagine they're kind of like, she's yeah. got more important things to do. We're not going to make her go to school on a Saturday. Xander's like, those poor schlubs have to attend school on a Saturday as he drinks out of his juice box. And Jenny's like, 9 a.m. okay with you, Xander? I don't know why he talked so brave. Like, he should have known that he'd probably be at the bottom of the class. Right. Well, and I was like, he keeps putting his foot in his mouth around the teachers. Like, with Principal Snyder, like, he talked about how he's like, ooh, I'm glad I don't have to take kids to Halloween. And Snyder was like, here's a clipboard, Xander. Like, why does he keep doing this? Doesn't make any sense. Will looks incredibly smug. And Buffy's like, you got a little bit of schlub on your shoe there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, Cordelia is supposed to meet them. And Xander is less than thrilled. He jokes about rectal surgery. And Giles and Jenny both give each other a look like, let's get away from these really weird, immature children. I think it's because Jenny goes, nice coat. And he's like, it's tweed, you know? After they joke about him having tweed. I, the whole like interaction between Jenny and Giles in the book is just so cute. I think it kind of like, maybe I'm reading into this, but it kind of can symbolize like their relationship in a way where it's like books are very sentimental to him and they're very much like represent who they are, who he is. And so it's like by him lending her a book, it's very much like I trust you. Like, and so the fact that she was just kind of like, like teasing him is so funny to me because she's like of course like i would never do anything to your book i love how she teases him i mean she teases him pretty much every episode that she's in and i think that she's really good for him i think she brings him out of his shell and as we find out like apparently he had a pretty wild past so they seem more suited for each other than we initially thought you know yeah Uh, Like you said, Leah, he must really care for Jenny because he gave her a book that's not only a first edition, but it belonged to his father. Like, yeah, that's and he talks about how he loves books. So he must really love Jenny. Yep. Um, Jenny teases Giles and tells him that she loves to see him squirm. And you can see him kind of like catching his breath. Like he's still kind of traumatized over the fact that she's got <laughs> an underline and spilled coffee all over his first edition book. <laughs> um, and she says, anyone ever tell you you're kind of a fuddy-duddy? And he says, no one ever seems to tell me anything else. And in this moment, all I could think was poor Giles. And I had that feeling, you know, like when you've been teasing someone like repeatedly all in like good fun and you think that they don't care or you think that like they're having fun along and then you find out that you're like teasing them too much and you've actually like hurt Mm -hmm. their feelings that's kind of the feeling I got in that moment because I was like granted like us as the viewers are also kind of making fun of Giles for wearing tweed for doing all this stuff and we don't realize until this moment that like maybe that's starting to bother him a little bit well especially Um, coming from somebody who's like I don't want you to view me like that I want you to yeah. view me as like true, to be desirable, you know, not like a dork, which she corrects herself at like a yes. sentence after that. But yeah, no, I definitely don't feel bad for him five seconds later yeah. when she tells him he's a sexy, funny daddy. I was like, oh, he <laughs> feels better now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's not thinking about anything else. Yeah. No, when, I was like, okay, good. When Miss Calendar came in, I we keep doing this where I'm like, oh, I'm going to clock this. How many times this happens? Have not done that. Um, but like Jenny's flirting in this series is off the hook. She's The smooth. girl is really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and this episode, I don't think he was like expecting her to be so smooth about it. And he just got so flustered. It's such the funniest thing. Well, I mean, she mentions like, oh, tonight and everything. And yeah. then like literally after their conversation, he's dumbfounded. 
<laughs> up until he walks into the library and sees the police officers. And even then, he's still a little bit shook up where he's like, oh, hey, like, what do you want? As if there isn't police officers in his library. Right, because yep. he's still thinking about the fact that they're getting together that weekend. I also wanted to say, Anthony Head does a phenomenal job of acting with his face and his expressions because – Jenny tells him that she wants to get together with him. And he was like, oh, would you like to go on a date? And he looks at her with so much love, like, I will take you on a date. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, like, I want to stay in. And you can see him kind of be like, oh, oh, stay in. And like, then they kiss. This is the first time we've seen them kiss on screen. And I thought it was interesting that the bell goes off just as they kiss. um, Because I feel like- Very high school. It is high school, but Giles in his normal, like if he was thinking properly, he would have stopped immediately because he likes to keep his private life and his work life separate, apart from being a watcher, obviously. Um, But that didn't deter him. Like Jenny was the one who actually pulled away and stopped the kiss, like once the students started coming out. And I thought that was really like, it shows just how hard and fast Giles is falling. Yeah. Leave it to Joss to mess it all up by the end of the episode. (laughs) I know. Take what we can get. So then, like you said, Tabs, Giles enters the library and the police are investigating the murder of Philip and Detective Winslow wants him to come in with them. They found a scrap of paper that had Giles's name and address on it. Uh, Cordelia. Okay, so initially, because again, I haven't seen this episode in a while, I was like, why did they have Cordelia come in? This seems like such a random scene other than just like placing her there. But it becomes pivotal because she's the one that tells everyone that he met with the police officers later on, and it mm-hmm. kind of alerts them to the fact that something's not okay with Giles. Yeah. I Okay, so I noted that this is the first episode with Cordy that she kind of seems like a very soft character. I didn't view her as like the normal Cordy. I was like, she didn't say anything that was rude throughout the whole episode. She made like sarcastic comments, but like everyone else does that. But she seemed very like soft and kind of in the background which is the first time I've, i think i've ever noticed that because i mean like an inca mommy girl was like the first time that she came up and like talked to the group but we haven't really seen her kind of like somewhat enjoy being around everybody i don't know i like and they put it in an episode where it's like heavily focused on someone else so they don't really notice a lot of that but they're doing it in such a good way where she's like immigrating into the group and you don't really notice it yeah i thought about that too because like, did we see her in Lie to Me? I'm trying to remember. Is she in that? Oh, yeah. She was in that, like, very – just, like, for a short bit, but not really in that episode yeah. very much because she was in the classroom scene. But the past few episodes, Cordy has been a little bit mean in Inca Mummy Girl to Sven. And then in Reptile Boy, she was kind of just, like, a little insensitive. In this one, I agree with you, Tabs. I think that she actually was herself, but she was funny and she wasn't biting. She yeah. was just mm-hmm. – um. Yeah, she just had – she showed that she's like – has a sharp wit without being mean to other people about right. it. So, yeah, I enjoy this Cordy better is what I'm trying to say than the mean mm-hmm. Cordy. <laughs> yeah, she's completely clueless, doesn't want to be in computer class. And I think it's interesting that Giles yells at her in this because we don't typically see Giles raise his voice. And he looks very angry in that moment. So the detective takes Giles to the coroner's office and they see the body of Philip. Um, and it's very like bruised and purplish for somebody that I only noticed got that too. I was like, "What are the other bruises from?" I think it's supposed to fake you out and make you think that he's going to be a zombie because a zombie looks like that. They're very pale with like mm. the purplish bruises and stuff. So I think that maybe the show was trying to kind of like um, throw you off. That makes sense. Philip Henry is a friend in London. Giles hasn't spoken to him in twenty years, but. 
the way that the camera is zoomed in very close to Giles, you can see his every move and it just is very heavily implied that he's actually lying. Um, and then he looks at the tattoo on Philip's arm and then lies about knowing what that is. All very sus. So ironically, Giles is not at the blood bank after berating Buffy about not being on time earlier that day. <laughs> Buffy's like, ah, of course. And it's inferred that she's heading to the payphone to call Giles and find out where he's at when the car shows up. And I love her line, all's well that ends with cute ER doctors, I always say, which we've never heard her say before. And then Starsa thinks that it's suspicious that the doctors take deliveries, like they come directly out, which, yeah, normally you would have like the nurses or somebody else would come grab it, not the doctors themselves. And it also comes from like a really sketchy car, like it's not coming from <laughs> yeah. an ambulance or anything. Well, I mean, the car itself is fine. It was the fact that the doctors came out of the hospital that was sketchy because mm -hmm. the blood is sketchy it's who's picking up the blood um so then a car pulls up out of the shadows and you can see like one of the vampires is like already tasting the blood bag and this scene is actually really cool and i think it's one of the things that we're missing in this episode is a really cool fight scene we don't have yes, it. we don't really have any like buffy kind of fights igon a little bit but not really. It's like the fight with Igon is over before it starts. Yeah. She fights these vampires and that's about it. That's all the fighting. I think she kicks Philip into the cage and that's it. But yeah. So she does this really cool thing where she lays on the hood of the car and then kicks back and hits one of the vampires. It's just – it's very clever. I love it. Um, and then Angel shows up. She almost stakes Angel, which I was like, woo. I always timing, think about girl. that. You'd have to be like really – or even like the the vampire that came up behind her and she immediately just like didn't even – without looking, just staked him. I was like, what if that was Angel trying to be like, hey, watch out. <laughs> like you actually stake your boyfriend. <laughs> she like sees him disappear into dust and she's like, <gasps> oh, gosh. That would be so I don't morbid. even want to think about yeah. that. That would be really sad. Uh, Le Leah's all like over there talking about Jenny dissolving into goo and I'm like Bobby's staking <laughs> Angel <laughs> we're really dark uh, what would be worse is if she staked him and she like didn't turn around so she didn't know she staked him and then him. he was just missing and she just thought, <laughs> oh, no. yeah so she just thought that he just like never came back because <gasps> oh, it's not like she could contact no. anyone oh. so he would just be gone I'm really sad now <laughs> and she would never know what happened she thinks he didn't love her he just like left yeah Oh, poor Angel. Anyway, oh, so let's then. Not write that fan fiction, please. <laughs> okay, anyway, now I'm really sad. I'm like going to cry. I know. <laughs> anyway, okay. So Angel helps her fight. And I, I thought it was really cool how like, he's like punches somebody in one of these scenes and his coat does like this cool whoosh thing on the side. He looks really like epic in that moment. I was like, wow. Batman. Well done. I wonder how long it took for them to get that specific shot. Yeah. Um, and Angel knows about delivery day, which I have a question. Okay, so it's implied, at least I think it is, that Angel is there to pick up blood for himself. Right. But it's human blood, right? Yeah. But he'd said back in Angel that he doesn't drink human blood anymore. He hadn't had human blood in a really long time. I didn't think he was coming there to like, get it for himself. I thought he like knew about it knowing that people come there to get the blood, so he was going to yeah. fight them off. That's what I got yeah. from it. That's probably See, what that makes is. more sense to me. Um, but yeah, he's like, he knows about delivery day. And then um, I think it's interesting that she asks him to deliver the blood to the doctors. And you could tell in that moment the amount of self-control that it 
takes for him. Like he kind of hesitates for a minute, almost kind of like, hey, do you remember who I am, that I'm a vampire, that I struggle with this? And then he kind of just like, okay, I can do this. And then Buffy is like, I'm going to go check on Giles. And I thought it was really sweet at the very end of the scene. They both kind of like have a little lingering moment where they just look at each other and kind of have this understanding passes between them. Like, I wish we could hang out a little bit more. And I don't know. It's just really sweet. It's very sweet. I thought it was interesting seeing Giles at his house just like so unraveled. Because he's such like a put together person. And we've talked about the theme of this episode is like addiction and how it can kind of like turn even the most sensible people into just such a chaotic mess. And I just thought it was really interesting how he's like sitting there. He's lost track of time, which Giles never does. He is sitting there drunk, alone. Like he just is very much not himself. And it's just very interesting to see Giles in this way. Yeah. And I mean, it's also interesting, too, because, I mean, first of all, that front door is gorgeous, is very Mm -hmm. beautiful. It looks like it was some sort of wood or maybe some old metal or something. But the peephole is not a normal peephole. It literally opens up and there's like little bars over there. And I thought that was such a really cool moment, like a, a visual symbolism of Giles trapped in his own prison. Like he's kind of stuck and he can't get out. And him opening the door, like he doesn't fully open the door to Buffy. He kind of, I mean, he doesn't crack it, but it's very like he's kind of hiding behind that door and doesn't want to open up to Buffy. Like he's not shaved. He's very disheveled. His, I don't think he's wearing a tie. He has like his shirt is unbuttoned. He just looks re, he doesn't look good. Um, and he asks if Buffy's hurt and she says, my feelings a little, which I was like, oh, that like he's never late for anything. So for him to like break a promise like that and then for him to kind of blow you off, it's got to be like, what the heck? Like what's wrong with you? Yeah, and then he he says, I'm really – or he, I don't think he even apologizes. He says, I got to go, Buffy, and he just shuts the door in her face, and she looks really confused. And, okay, I'm really excited. Okay, this is one of the parts that I wanted to tell you guys about. I'm, like, super stoked that I found this. So, first of all, okay, Giles is trying to call Deirdre Page, um, and he finds out that she's dead and that she died recently. Um, you find out that they were friends when they were younger. And then as – as soon as he gets off the phone, the camera kind of pans over. And you see this open bottle of alcohol, which we've never seen Giles drink before. So this is very, this is jarring uh, on top of everything else. And um, he's crossing off a list of five members. He's crossed Mm -hmm. off Deirdre and you see Philip and then another name, I think it's like Randall or something. And then the bottom two that are not crossed off is him and Ethan Rain, which is really cool because I thought Ethan Rain was a really interesting foil to Giles. Well, and it also makes sense that Ethan Rain would be one of the last ones because he's very, he's like very sneaky and stuff. And so I can definitely see him like outrunning the demon for a little while. Well, and when we left him in Halloween, it was very heavily implied that we were going to see him again. Oh, yeah. They definitely left it on a cliffhanger. Well, I mean, he literally said, see you soon. See yeah. you. On a sticky note. Yeah. Okay. So this is the part that I'm really excited about, guys. Oh, I'm so excited. All right. So. I am a bit of a music geek because I was a music major in college. And so I am always looking for why do 
uh, TV shows? Why does, in this one specifically, why does Christoph Beck choose to use the music he does? Um, because as a composer and stuff, you want to guide your audience and your viewers through the episode and help guide their emotions. But you also want to kind of tell a story. And Buffy does a phenomenal job with telling a story with its music in ways that we as casual viewers don't even realize at times. So I found this. I was reading the book Music, Sound, and Silence in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The basic melody of the theme is used in this 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 moment. So you guys know da na na na. So it's yeah. actually played in this in the scene. But it's slowed down and it's got kind of a minor twist to it and it starts playing um as soon as he hangs up the phone. It says it plays briefly in the underscore against Giles in his moment of despair when he realizes that the demon he raised in his student days is stalking him. He has just turned Buffy away from his apartment without telling her what is going on, and the subtle use of the theme at this point might indicate his knowledge that he needs her and her heroism, but cannot bring himself to tell her what he has done. So if you guys will allow me, I'm going to play it real fast and see if you guys can pick up on the main theme. Yeah, you can hear it. Maybe I'm toned up. I legitimately did not hear it. So I mean, it sounded, it sounded really, pretty, but I didn't hear it. No, it was um more spread out. It was like da 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 da, and then it would be like do with the uh, the yeah. orchestra. Cool. Yeah, I know, which I thought was really interesting because we don't normally hear the main theme song throughout the episodes, or at least so I didn't think so. Um, but it slowed way down, and I think it's to show that Giles needs Buffy. But yeah, anyway, that's your little like music geekness that's really for cool. the episode. Yeah. Hopefully I'll find more little cool things like that. But anyway, um, I also thought it was really interesting that Giles looks in the mirror and says, so you're back, which I think that this is symbolizing several different things because – Yeah, I was – Yeah, I, I'm sure I you have something too. too. Because he mm-hmm. first he washes his face, which I think this is him like one trying to wake up, but I think he also feels dirty. Yeah, trying to clean yeah. himself. Yeah, this is him trying to be like, ugh, get rid of it, get rid of it. And then I think it's – Well, he also has to – when he washes his face, he has to roll up his sleeves, mm-hmm. which shows the tattoo, mm-hmm. which I think is another way of showing that like – he can't hide his past Mm -hmm. and he's trying to get clean from Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And he looks at himself and says, so you're back. And I think this is interesting because obviously in the most literal form, he's talking to Igon, but then it's also begs and there's, and I'm really excited to talk about this with you guys, because as we go through the episode, there is a question that's being asked of us beneath the surface of the episode. And I think it's even a question that Giles is asking himself and it's, is Giles, 
carrying a part of Igon with him? Will he always carry a part of Igon with him? Um, cause he's talking about trying to leave his past behind him. Um, or is it that we are singing more of Ripper Giles now because Igon is back? Like there's just several different things. I mean, he says that's kind of like how I interpret it, it when he says like, so you're back. Like I kind of always interpret it as him telling himself that Ripper Giles mm. is. Yeah. Back. I got that too. Cause it's like he's worked so hard and you hear that in the Halloween episode where Ethan's kind of like, oh, they think you're this person but you're really not um and so it's kind of like him being like i've worked my whole life kind of like moving away from it which is kind of like what you're saying sarah about like addiction so a lot of people are just Mm -hmm. like they've created this whole new life for themselves where they're like i'm clean of this and so yeah like i don't know where he's like washing himself too it's like you're trying to be clean. It's like kind of like a, uh, and also like a metaphor for like someone like that's like the word people use when they're like off of everything. Ooh, they're yeah. like, I'm clean mm-hmm. from it. Like I'm, I've been clean yeah. for this many years. I've been clean for this. Um, but also I think it's, I think it's brilliant that they used a tattoo as symbolism for this because it's not like he can just take soap and wash it off. It's permanently on him. Mm-hmm. It's like, a reminder all the time like what leah said but they could have used so many things to represent it but i think like a tattoo was really spot on yeah and just like him looking at himself in the mirror saying so you're back you know it's him talking about his past addictions his past problems his literal demons i mean we talk about all the time about how buffy is supposed to be a metaphor for fighting our literal and our yeah our literal demons and so this is giles demon that he's having to fight um it's just very it's very clever um, so back in the morgue, Philip pulls the sheet off of himself and his eyes glow yellow. And the next morning, the coroner is opening the drawers. And I'm assuming he has to like check in every morning to say that the bodies are still there to make sure no one's stolen them. But I was like, wait, like, do you commonly have like bodies disappearing? <laughs> well, actually, no, that's a real thing. I would imagine it is. No, but yeah. no. And not even in Sunnydale, that's a real thing because people can sell the body parts. Oh, that's true. Okay. So people will take up, like, they'll steal dead bodies and sell their parts. I only really know that's, like, an actual job because April Ludgate from Parks and Rec has always dreamed of being one, so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Philip grabs the corner and shoves him into the slab, and he's, like, bruised all over and walking just like Deirdre did. Um, And then back at the school hall, Cordelia, this isn't right, school on a Saturday. It throws off my internal clock. (laughs) As they're all meeting up, getting ready to go to computer class, which, you know, conveniently enough, it's just, you know, Jenny, Cordelia, Xander, and Willow. Could you imagine if there had been another student there? <laughs> I I like this whole interaction when Buffy comes in because, one, it shows that Buffy's observant and that, like, she knows Giles well enough to know that something's wrong. But I also, like, Xander has a really interesting line to me where – um, they mentioned they're talking about Giles and she mentions that he was drinking and that he seems off. And Giles has this line where he says, no one can be that tight round without having a dark side. And I think that Giles, I'm uh, not Giles, Sander was trying to like make a joke and was like mentioning the fact that he drank alcohol, but like he's actually extremely right. But his dark side is a lot darker than just, you know, getting drunk on a Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And and Willow, I think, is especially crushed in this episode because I think she really looks up to Giles. And I never really, like, yeah. caught that until this – a couple wa- – or maybe even this rewatch. I was like, 
Because I, I think you always kind of know it's there, but in this one, I think it's really apparent. She's like, oh, Giles is drinking or, you know, mm. but T, right? Like she she wants to believe that Giles doesn't struggle, that Giles is kind of this person that she looks up to and really idolizes in a lot of ways. I think Giles is what Willow kind of wants to be when she gets older right. too. Mm. Um, yeah, and I wrote that down too, Leah. No one can be as tightly wound without erupting. And then Buffy asks if anyone has seen anything weird. Cordelia, no, he seemed perfectly normal yesterday when I saw him talking to the police. Freaking Cordelia. She's like, and he waited until now to tell us because. And she's like, I didn't think it was important. Like, and gosh, Xander's like, Cordy. we understand it wasn't about you. Like, well, burn. <laughs> there, are, there are some rare times where Xander's comments make me laugh. And that was one of those times where I was like, that was, that was actually kind of funny. I actually really like Sander in this episode. I thought he had yeah, some really good I lines. agree. He was actually very funny in this one and understandably a little upset at Cordelia because she was like throwing them right back at him. And then Cordelia says it was about homicide. So Buffy goes to the library to call Giles, which her outfit, again, very cute. She's got like the tan pants on with the chunky brown boots. So cute. Mm-hmm. Her boots are always so cute. Yeah. Um, And then back in the library, Buffy sees a shadow in the stacks, which, okay, this is the first time we've actually gone up and back there. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know there were French doors back there. Well, I was going to say, in school hard, you kind of see a vampire run past her. So you kind of know that there's something back there. But this is, you're right, this is the first time that we've actually, like, physically gone back there. And I always forget that we see Ethan Rain back in the stacks because, oh, yeah, and then Giles got lost back there in it, one of his uh, nightmares. So I think yeah. it's really funny you go back there and it's actually so much bigger than I remember it being. Well, I I think it's actually very intentional that Ethan Rain is back in the stacks because in Nightmares, Giles's nightmare is being lost in the stacks. Mm-hmm. And I think Ethan is kind of uh, the materialization of one of Giles's nightmares, which is his past being brought to life. Right. So I think it's interesting. Also, I noted that this episode has several new sets. You have the stacks, you have Giles's um, house and his bedroom and stuff. And then um, what was the other one? You have- uh, The shop. Oh, the shop. I mean, we've seen that before, but we go to a lot of places, and I think that's part of like what makes Hospital, this the, the morgue. morgue. Yep, I think that's part of what makes this episode a little bit jarring is because I think we aren't in our like normal haunts. We um, even like the opening shot, at the school, like where everybody's sitting and playing that game. I don't think we've seen that part of the school before. It's just very different. Yeah, that's true, Sarah. I think they they had to have done this on purpose because there's way too many new spots. Like, they're not in their normal places, even in the library. I think it's because this episode follows Giles, not Buffy. Yeah, maybe. And so it's like following oh. areas that uh, pertain to Giles. But he doesn't normally go to the morgue. No, but if we were following Buffy, we would have never seen the morgue. But we're following Giles, therefore we see the morgue. Yeah, maybe we're supposed to kind of see things from Giles' perspective. Like we kind of see the outside of the school because well, yeah. that's where Giles would enter to go to the library. He wouldn't walk through like the normal area. We see the morgue because Giles is going to see a body. We see his apartment because we're watching Giles go through his nightmares. Mm. Yeah, so maybe this episode is supposed to feel a little bit different because we're it's looking at it from his perspective. Oh, yeah. that's really interesting. It also makes it uncomfortable too because it's not the the comfy 
normal vibes that we usually get even if an episode is a little bit more rough this one just like that that makes so much sense because i watch it and i just feel like eerie because i'm like it doesn't give me like the same homely vibes that i usually get watching a buffy episode yeah now i'm thinking back to the rest of the episode and oh this all makes so much sense because okay the library <laughs> brilliant leah brilliant and i was the only one who wasn't harping on this episode i was like i don't really think it was that bad <laughs> no i mean like i i appreciate the things that happen but okay let's think about it this way normally the way oh okay so normally the way that i'm a genius okay but normally the way this episode is shot is you have giles giving the exposition and it's shot from the doors per, like you're standing at the doors facing the tables with everybody sitting and talking but when you have that moment like when they capture philip and they have him in the cage the camera is set up where the table normally is and you're watching everybody from the opposite side of the library. Even hmm. when Buffy gives her directions to everyone, they're all sitting on top of the counter where the librarian's counter is, and Buffy's talking to them, and we're from the opposite direction of Giles. Or when Buffy's working out, it's not from Buffy's perspective, which <gasps> is from Giles. Oh, Leah. <laughs> Leah, man. <laughs> and you guys say I don't participate in the podcast. <laughs> that's true, because that's, that's literally where he's sitting. That's where you see her working out. What the heck? And you watch, oh yeah. So it's jarring because you're watching the doors and who bursts through the doors. It's Giles. Normally Buffy and the gang come through the doors and Giles is already in the library. But in this one, Giles mm -hmm. himself comes through the doors. And so you're, the way that the camera is set up is from well, a very- Well, and usually when, when a phone call happens where they talk to Giles, they're filming the person who calls him. But this one, they film Giles on the phone. Yep. Oh, man. I'm going to have to go back and watch it now and be like looking for these shots because they're really like clever. So anyway, Buffy recognizes Ethan from Halloween and which I think is interesting because I always forget that Buffy didn't know that Ethan knew Giles because she wasn't there. I, I thought about that. Yeah. Because Willow was the one that made the connection with Giles and then. But even he didn't say anything though. He just said um, Willow leave. Yeah. He didn't even expose anything. Right. It was after that that he said, oh, Ethan or whatever they said to. Yeah. Well, it also shows how much that Giles has been keeping close to the vest. Like, he just didn't tell anybody about his connection at all. Um, but yeah, she says, you sold me that dress on Halloween, almost got me killed. And he says, but you look great. <laughs> and then she punches him. She says, what are you doing here? This line cracks me up. He says, snooping around. She says, honesty, nice touch. And he says, it's one of my virtues. And then he stops and says, not really, which is hilarious because he's being honest about not being honest. So which is it? Like, is he dishonest or is he honest? Like, I just thought that was clever. I just felt like he just kind of didn't care. He was like, ah, oh, whatever. I can lie to you or not lie to you. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I feel like he's the type of guy that is kind of in your face. I don't feel like he's holding a lot of secrets like Giles. I think right. he'll be like, yeah, this is my crap. Like, here it is, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Buffy finds out that Ethan and Giles go way back and that Ethan is looking for him. And then back at Giles's house, Giles is having more nightmares of the demon and the mark, um, wakes up to Buffy calling and asking him what the mark of Igon is um, and tells him that Ethan is with her. Giles says that she is in danger while Ethan is there. And then Philip crashes, which interestingly enough, Philip crashes through Giles's window in his office, which I thought that was a really interesting, that was interesting that they had him do that instead of anywhere else. But it makes sense now knowing that this is all from Giles's perspective. And then Ethan hides behind Buffy, which I was like, okay, well done, Ethan. Way to 
you know, stick up for yourself. I mean, I don't blame him, though, honestly. If someone was hunting me down and Buffy was in the room, I'd hide behind her, too. Yeah, but Ethan just kind of seems like, well, I mean, we know he's just incredibly self-serving. And so it's just another example of him, like, you know, Buffy helped me. And even though she's, like, cleaning up after his mess. Yeah. So Xander and the gang run in. Buffy tells them not to let Ethan get away. To Xander's credit, he actually like listens to Buffy instantly. Because for me, at least when someone gives me an order, it takes a minute for my brain to process it. But he like doesn't hesitate and tries to stop Ethan and gets flung over the desk. And then did you guys see that Cordy's the one Cordelia's that stopped Cordelia's <laughs> I literally wrote it down on my notes. I was like, wow, Cordelia really knocked him out. She just like kicks him right in the shins and stops him. I was But like, it makes sense because she's a cheerleader. She's flexible and has fast reflexes. Yeah. I just was like, go Cordelia. Like I really – we haven't seen her really like be a part of a fight since Prophecy Girl. And when I'm, she bit one of the vampires. Yeah. See how you like it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a good like hit to the shin would knock me out too. I'd be like – yeah. Especially a wimp like Ethan Rain. Not like that, but like Cordy's got to have like, I feel like they were like some boots Mm -hmm. on kind of like Buffy's. So I feel like they'd be really heavy. Yeah, I agree. Um, So then Buffy locks Philip in the cage and Willow says, I'm not getting close enough to feel his pulse, but he looks dead. Um, And then this is the moment we were talking about where this is shot very differently. Like normally we would have it from the opposite side of the room, but instead we're sitting where Giles would normally be sitting. And then Ethan's sitting to the left and then Phillip's over on the right. And then Giles just kind of like bursts in. And the guy looks awful. Like his shirt is half tucked in. He's definitely not wearing a tie. He like fumbles in. He's a mess. So I think it's really interesting that Ethan continues to call Giles by his Ripper name instead of saying Rupert or Giles. Um, he says, hello, Ripper. And Giles says, I thought I told you to leave town. Ethan, you did. I didn't. And then talks about how his lease is paid up until the end of the month. And then Cordelia whispers to Xander, why did he call him Ripper? And then Giles grabs Ethan by the hair and yanks him up and says, you should have left when I told you. And Cordelia's like, oh, <laughs> And then Giles saying, you put these people in danger, people I care about. And Ethan actually has a good point. He says, if you cared about them so much, you'd have left town. You've been having the dreams, haven't you? We both know what's coming. Which I think that's kind of a good point on Ethan's part. If you actually did care so much, then why didn't you leave? But also like kind of like what you guys said earlier, like how Buffy and Giles' roles have switched. Usually it's like Buffy who has the dreams and he has to pull it out of her. And then in this scene, Buffy goes, what dreams, what's going on? She's left out of the yeah. loop. Which I like, and I, I will talk about this later when there's a little bit more correlations, but I think it's genius that they put this episode yes. right after Lie to Me. Because it's like, it's like they're shielding Buffy from the world, essentially. And she feels like it's too much to learn about all the nasty stuff that's been going on. And then in this episode, she has to actively go out of her way to force it out of Giles, who's been kind of keeping it from her because she's like, at this point, it's only hindering us that I don't know the real truth about it. Yeah. And the last thing we saw was Giles literally telling Buffy a lie, which she asked him to, which is, you know, the good guys will always be brave and true. And literally the next episode, we're like, whoa, Giles, you're one of the bad guys or not bad guy, but like you have, you're not completely white. We also see him not like handle things perfectly. Oh yeah. Like he doesn't do things well. Yeah. And then in this moment, you can tell Giles does not want to tell Buffy. Like Ethan says, tell her, Ripper. And Giles like hesitates. He doesn't want to tell her the truth, which kind of goes to what you were saying about the last episode, Tabby. 
Um, and then in that moment, Philip slams mm-hmm. open the gate, knocks Jenny to the floor, which I was thinking like, man, why is Jenny unconscious? That didn't seem that bad. But that's a heavy metal gate that slammed into her head. Like, it makes sense that Jenny got knocked out cold. Well, and then she hit the wall behind her. So it was like a double whammy. Yeah, poor Jenny. <laughs> Um, and then, okay, did you guys see what Xander did? He grabbed Cordelia and he pulled her to safety. And I was like, Oh, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, he put his that. arms around Cordelia and pulls her back away from Good for Xander. I know. And that is, I think, a common theme that I'm seeing in or not a common theme, but like I'm seeing a consistency in Xander's character and that he's actually very brave and he puts other people um in front of himself when it comes to life threatening situations. And I think that's really admirable. That's really interesting. They must have made that like a a last-minute decision because in the script, it just says Willow and Cordelia scramble out of the way as Buffy punches and kicks Philip. So they probably in the moment were like, you know what? Let's just have Xander help Cordelia. Do they have in Cordelia's, oh, or like when she talks to Xander in there? They do. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I like little moments when we see like character strengths of Xander. I think it's encouraging. They have in the script that, that Cordelia was the one who kicked him and he went, he knocked yeah. out. So. <laughs> Go yeah. Cordelia. <laughs> All right. And then um, Giles runs past Philip, which I thought this was actually really brave too, because he knows Philip's there for him and Ethan. And he literally mm-hmm. runs, like dives right underneath him. Buffy kicks Philip and he convulses and falls next to Jenny and Giles turning into goo. One thing that doesn't make sense to me is that if Giles and Ethan Rain knew this demon well enough to, like, know the seance, know what it required, know that you would have to be unconscious for it to go inside of you, wouldn't they know that Jenny would be the viable option for the demon to jump into? I think that they didn't know that it was an unconscious person. They thought, yeah. Yes, they did. They knew sleeping later on. No, 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 no. Think about it. When they were all younger, in order to conjure up the demon, oh, I see they had to have been unconscious. They didn't plan on Jenny getting knocked out. So in the moment, also, right. Giles is not himself. He's not thinking That's critically. True. Ethan only cares about himself. So in that true. moment, Ethan's going, how can I save my own skin? Giles is thinking, how can I make Jenny feel better and also like reassure her? Everyone else has a no too. Yeah, to kind of keep his secret hush, hush. So like, mm-hmm. I think if they Giles was actually sitting down and like putting his brain to the test, like, or actually thinking about it, then he would, you know... And I think I kind of like the fact that he didn't pick up on it only because he seems to really know all of Buffy's issues and how to fix it. And so now that he's in the thick of it, he's not able to think clearly because like this girl that I really like is like hurting. And then I have this whole like zombie apocalypse basically <laughs> happening and then um, Ethan Rain and stuff. So I, I kind of understand why they wouldn't make him be like, oh, this is why this is happening. Because that I feel like that wouldn't be like logical. I feel like I wouldn't be thinking very clearly in that moment. Right. Well, and I think the whole point is Giles is not functioning normally and he's kind of shutting down. Yeah. Uh, so the goo touches Jenny's hand and it twitches and Ethan gets away. Cordelia, this is what happens when you have school on a Saturday. I'm going to be in therapy until I'm 30. <laughs> Aren't we all? Giles tells Jenny it will all be okay. And then Jenny says, promise. And then she says, I believe you. And then her eyes glow yellow. And I'm just like, oh, it's not going to all be okay. (laughs) Why would you promise that? He doesn't – like you can tell that Giles is still stressed and he himself doesn't even know that it's going to be okay and he's still promising that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so Buffy comes back, can't find Ethan, and Giles won't tell Buffy what's going on, says it's private. And this part is really hard for me yeah. to listen to because Giles is like cradling Jenny like she's the most important thing in his life. And I'm happy for him. But then I'm also like, you're shutting out Buffy. Like you loved Buffy yeah. before Jenny. Like don't do but that. I think, I think it was actually th- – this was his way of protecting her. I think that mm. he saw – because even if you think about lie to me, like, I don't think that Giles wants Buffy to have the burden of this mm. knowledge on her. And so this is his way of loving her and protecting her is by shutting her out. Yeah. But then him saying it's private Buffy. And I'm like, what the heck? No, it's not, dude. Like, you you know all the ins and outs of Buffy's private life. And obviously, this is hurting other people, so it's not. But I think it's just another instance of Giles not making rational and wise decisions. And – I like kudos to Buffy. She says, I don't care from private. I care from dead guys attacking us. I care from you lost weekending, which that's, you know, him binging um, it in your apartment. And he says, I was just trying to find a solution. Um, And so she's like, what is the mark of Igon? And Giles says to stay out of it and that it isn't her battle and walks away. And I love that Buffy just sits there and watches them and then immediately is like, let's get to work. Well, I was going to say like – it's interesting seeing because we're seeing like like I said at the beginning of the episode we're seeing a switch in roles mm-hmm. like Giles is frazzled he goes away to take care of like his girlfriend and so we're seeing Buffy stand up and kind of take the role of Giles she delegates tasks she gets everyone like on point and she's very much like this is what we're going to do and we're going to do it whether Giles likes it or not. Yeah, and the camera angle is shot from Buffy's in the place of where Giles normally would be and everybody else is in the position of where everybody else would normally be. And so yeah. I think that that's – it's really interesting and clever. Yeah. And this is the first time we've seen Cordelia yes. offer to help the gang with no mm-hmm. selfish desire. Yeah. Yep. Like it was – she's willingly putting herself in, in danger – to help Giles. And she even has that line where she's like, I care about Giles too. And you're ever like, everyone's like, okay. Like, it's very cool to see Cordelia grow as a character. Yeah. And she's a, a really good addition to the gang. I think I'm really excited about where they're going with her character. I've, I think already we've seen her grow and soften so much without losing mm-hmm. what makes her Cordelia. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Buffy's like, work with Xander. And she's like, when I say I care, I mean. Yeah, she's like, just go. <laughs> So in Giles' apartment, Giles apologizes, didn't mean for her to be involved in all of it. And Jenny says, that's what happens when two people get involved, which I think is really wise. It is true. Like you kind of, you accept that person for the good and the bad, you know, not just all the good. Um, And then Giles wants to get her home, says he's not a very safe person to be around at the moment, which again, if we're looking at this through the eyes of addiction and drug abuse and all that other stuff. When someone is struggling with that, it really does affect all the people around them. It doesn't hurt just them. It hurts the lives of the people they love. Um, And I think it speaks to – obviously, I want to be careful and not say that, like, you should always stay in a relationship with someone who is, you know, abusing drugs or something like that. But I think that there is something to be said of, like, someone saying, hey, I see – your faults and I see the things that you wrestle with and struggle with and I'm willing to take on your burden and help you through this. And I think that that's the mark of a really healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Jenny, nothing's safe in this world, Rupert. Don't you know this by now? Which, ugh, like truth bombs, man. Like she's right. And I I think Giles knows this, but I think he needs to be reminded of this in this moment. 
So then the library, Willow. Okay, did you guys notice that Willow is totally taking on Giles, like channeling Giles through this yes. entire episode? Yep. She like goes, ah, aha. Like, and that's exactly what Giles says. She goes, it's not Egyptian. It's Etruscan, mistaken for Egyptian yeah. by the design pattern. But any fool can see it predates that. Iconology. Yeah, and they're all like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the jargon is very Giles. Yes. Yeah. And then Willow basically takes on the role of Giles in this with all the exposition. She says, the mark of Igon is worn by his initiates, known as the sleepwalker, can only exist in this reality by possessing an unconscious host. Temporary possession gives the host an euphoric feeling of power, which is very similar to what Giles talks about later when he says an yeah. incredible high. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, and it's also what we see in Jenny in the next scene. Yeah. Uh, and unless the proper rituals are observed, the possession is permanent and Igon will be born from within the host. Um, once called Igon can take possession of the dead, but its demonic energy soon disintegrates the host and it must jump to the nearest dead or unconscious person to continue living. And I like how Xander is the one who recognizes that Jenny was unconscious. Yeah. Right. Well, Xander takes on the role. I feel like Willow normally would have figured that out. But Xander mm. figures it out. Well, it's it implied out. in the script that like Buffy had figured it out and she looked at Xander and he picked up on what she was mm. talking about and then he said it. So they both were on the same wavelength and then he confirmed what she was thinking and said it out loud. Gotcha. So like I like that everyone in the Scooby gang in this episode is very non-problematic. They all are working well together because the whole point wasn't to show the disunity in them was supposed to show that their like father figure and the person that kind of holds the glue of it was kind of unraveling. So everyone else had to kind of pick up, pick the, up slack. the slack. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it also goes to show what a vital part Giles is to the game because it took all four of them to have to yeah. research and put their reins together to figure out right. what's going on. And Cordelia yeah. even was like, hey, let's just go pick up a body at the cemetery, you know, if we just need a dead person. I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead. But even Cordelia is troubleshooting and helping, which I thought was yeah. really, like, cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, then in Giles' house, Jenny rips the phone cord. Like, And I, okay, Robbie Lamorte is a dancer, and you can see that in her movements as she channels Igon. Mm-hmm. Even just the way she uses her hands and just, like, grabs the cord, it's very intentional. I thought it was really interesting that, like, even though Giles is probably at the lowest point we've seen him up until the show, and so and Jenny's not herself, like, Giles is still a good guy. Like, mm-hmm. he's still like, I don't want to take advantage of you. Like, this isn't right. Like, and so, like, even though she's making all of the moves, like, he's very much, like, caring for her. And I just think it's very sweet that even at his lowest point, like, he still is very much, like, careful with her. Yeah. Well, and Jenny says, you could take me home or you could take advantage of me in my weakened state, which I feel like is almost a metaphor for what Giles did to the demon itself, because Mm. the demon is weakened when it enters a host body and they were abusing and taking advantage of the demon's powers and like by exercising it and pulling it out of their friend and then calling on it and putting it into their friend. And so I think that this is the demon kind of trying to get back at Giles because of how it felt like its power and its own like essence was abused by him. But I think it's also trying to test him too, being like, are you going to do this to your girlfriend? Oh, absolutely. As well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Buffy says there's no answer at Jenny's home after trying to call and Giles's phone is out of order, which, okay, realistically, just unplugging Giles's phone doesn't make the phone out of order. It would have just kept ringing, but whatever. Plot device. Buffy decides that she's going to go to Giles's home and, okay, 
So this scene, oh, this is another moment that I'm really excited about. Okay. So Giles says he's attracted to Jenny, but he's like, but now is not the right time. Jenny says there's never been a better time, then pushes him onto the couch, climbs into his lap and kisses him. Giles pushes her away and says, it's not right. I would be taking advantage, which I wrote, well done, Giles. Like, yeah, way to just like have boundaries. Also know that you yourself are in a vulnerable position and that you would be maybe doing something that the person would regret the next morning or and right. also I think Giles too is like Jenny's someone he truly cares about. He's like, I don't want to have sex now just because it's in the heat of the moment. Like I want to be intentional about this because I care about you, you know? I also think that personally he doesn't feel hundred percent himself. Oh either. yeah. And so when yeah. he wants to do it with her for the first time, I think that he wants to be in a healthy place as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point, Leah. But could you imagine if your girlfriend tried to come on to you and then all of a sudden a demon voice comes out and I'd be like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be so unnerving. That's so terrifying. Yeah. Okay. And then, okay, so Robbie Lamorte's body language, like, oh my goodness, yeah. she has a phenomenal job. Like, I truly believe she's demon-possessed with how she, like, moves. Very um, different. Yeah. So she pushes him away and gets up. And the way that she starts to circle is very predatory. The way she moves her head is very, like, snake-like. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, God, you just don't change, do you? It's not right. It wouldn't be proper. People might get hurt. You're like a woman ripper. You cry at every funeral. You never had the strength for me. You don't deserve me. But guess what? You've got me under your skin. So I want to talk about that dialogue because that's kind of like a lot to unpack. I think it's incredibly interesting that – well, one – Igon is very misogynistic. Like, we can just all agree on that. Um, I think it's interesting that Igon is comparing crying to weakness and saying that Mm. showing emotion is weakness and that strength is being willing to, for going by the metaphor, giving into your addictions. And Igon's Mm. trying to tempt Giles. And in actuality, Giles is actually very strong for being able to withhold from mm-hmm. his pulls to his addictions and stuff. And I think it's interesting that in contrast, Ethan Rain, who is also incredibly misogynistic, he Ethan has said back in the Halloween episode, Ethan says, you are the champion of innocence and all things pure and good, Rupert. It's quite a little act you've got going on. And Giles says, it's no act. It's who I am. Ethan says, who you are, the watcher, the sniveling tweed clad guardian of the slayer and her kin. I think not. I know who you are, Rupert. And I know what you're capable of. But then you have Igon, who I would venture to say Igon probably knows Giles maybe a little bit better than Ethan simply because Igon has been inside of Giles. Um, And Igon is saying that Giles actually hasn't changed. Giles is the same kind person that he always has been, who's always saying it's not right. People are going to get hurt. So Ethan is over here kind of like on the one side mocking Giles and saying like, oh, this protector of people, this kind facade that you have on is simply just that. It's a facade. I know who you really are. You're this addict and all this other stuff. And Giles is, this is kind of confirming that Giles has actually always been um, someone who cares about people deeply and who has put up his boundaries. It it also goes along with the whole underlying theme, which is that women are weak and that women don't have the strength to handle things that men do. And, you know, what's the show about? It's about Buffy, who literally has the strength to kill vampires. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's just like a kind of a cool little undertone that they put in there. 
And then the other thing that I wanted to talk about, so I don't know if you guys notice this, Jenny grabs Giles by the hair and forces him up, and this is almost exactly what mirror for mirror, the, what he did to Ethan, yep. yes, and how he pulls him up. And I think that that goes back to my question of, is Giles, does his ripper side come out when he is like when Igon is around and near or is it something that happens like is Igon always going to be kind of a part of Giles I think it's more so just a way of showing authority and showing dominance I don't necessarily mean think that it has to be like a, a trait that they acquire because of Igon I think it's a way of showing like I control you and I own you by like just like the smallest piece of you by your hair like i can do whatever i want with you yeah yeah but i don't agree with that because this is very intentional the way they have this like it's very much supposed to be kind of a mirroring thing because we're we're talking about the theme of addiction here so we're talking about how like you're never fully recovered i see what you're saying i don't think that it's the essence of igon that's always going to be with him i think the whole point of this episode is to show um, in physical form through demon that there's always going to be temptation. Either your demons are going to come back to haunt you and kind of kind of give you temptation. Yeah, he was tempted and he had moments of binge drinking because he was scared, but he also didn't go towards magics. He didn't revert back to that. And I think it's like, I don't know, like when people are in a weakened state, they can tend to be a lot more tempted by stuff that they've relapsed on in the past. And so I think the whole point of the physical icon on this episode is to show that like, when you're weakened and when you're scared is when it's like the most present that you could easily like revert back to that. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head tabs. And that's kind of what I was trying to say. You said it more eloquently than I did. I don't believe that <laughs> Igon's like always with him. I just meant to say that like, I think the the things that he felt and the things that yeah. he experienced with Igon is probably like easy for him to like maybe want a glimpse of that sure. again. Or even like the things that he did, he starts to experience that once again. I don't know. I feel like, again, not explaining things well. This yeah, episode. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's just really interesting like to see that because we really haven't seen that in Giles before. And I don't know. I like digging deep into characters being like, okay, what makes them tick? And why is Giles right. making these decisions? And there are some very right. like very intentional blocking and choices of why they have actors do the things that they do and Buffy is yeah. no exception to that you know so yeah which I feel like is such a good thing to do with characters I mean some shows you can really like could be depressing because like wow they are not consistent as writers or characters but this is one of those shows where it's like I know that they take care of all of their characters in such a like a great job they really just like hold them in such a tight grasp where they're like I understand this character and like I know where it's going and so these episodes are just that much more pivotal and enjoyable to watch as a viewer because you know that they're being taken care of and you know that there's a reason for all this and they're not just hopefully they're not gonna you know character assassinate but also okay so when demon jenny is talking she says three down two to go and then she says be seeing you which mm -hmm. is what ethan said yes halloween which Makes me think that Ethan knew that Igon was coming or something because why else would Ethan come into town? And I think we were talking about that in Halloween. We were like, why would Ethan come to this town when they knew that Giles was there? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I get the sense that Ethan likes to antagonize Giles. Yeah, and I think he's sure. like that person. I think Ethan literally represents that person, the bad friend that makes you do things that make you hate yourself. That makes sense. Right. Like the person that like can drink, but they can drink 
like without it spiraling into addiction, but they like mm-hmm. to goad you and make you do things that you don't want to do or things that is not mm-hmm. good for you. You know what I mean? Like they're just an unhealthy, toxic friend. So Buffy says she's going to go to Giles' apartment because they're not answering the phones. And so she breaks into his apartment, sees Giles on the floor and says, are you all right? And he just says, Jenny, oh God. And she says, Giles, how do we stop this thing? And then he, I feel like he's just sitting there in such denial. Like he doesn't know shock. what to do. Yeah. Yeah. When she says, Giles, talk to me. You're scaring, You're scaring me. me. I know. And all he can say is, I'm sorry. Which this scene right here is um, Anthony Stewart had has said that is one of his most pivotal moments on Buffy. He says he felt like he had an emotional breakthrough because he actually started crying in this scene when he was talking to Buffy and says, I'm sorry. And they decided to keep that take. And Anthony had said that it really helped him to be able to show his emotion on screen a little bit more. And he felt like he was able to go to a deeper place because of it. Makes sense because she says, don't be sorry, be Giles. She said, we fight Mm. monsters. They show up. They scare us. I beat them up and they leave. This isn't any different. Yeah. She's showing him like, this is your demons, but we've all faced demons. I faced my demons. Xander's faced like three different ones of his demons. <laughs> um, Willow has. And she's like, and then I kill them and they go away and everything's fine again. But I also like how last episode we had Giles, who was the one who was kind of the rock for Buffy. And we're seeing in this episode that Buffy is like yeah. being the rock for Giles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which – Like, that's how relationships are supposed to be. It's so beautiful. And he says, this is different. Buffy says, because you don't know how to stop it. And he says, because I created it, which, Mm. whew, that's like, that's heavy. Uh, I love that Xander is looking into all Giles' files and he finds the black and white picture of young Giles with an electric guitar. Is that true? Is that from his band? Um, Okay, so the head is Giles. It was back when he was 17. Or sorry, the head is Anthony Stewart head. It's a picture from him when he was 17. And it's on a famous photo of Sid Vicious playing bass. So yeah, that's not actually. <laughs> they <laughs> superimposed. They? <laughs> so like, might as well pick somebody who's not famous. They can't track down the photo. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So then, yeah, they go back to Giles' house. Or, or the camera goes back to Giles' house. And Buffy is getting the Cliff Notes version of Giles's history, which I just thought that was a funny coincidence that he studied history. Like history just keeps popping back up. <laughs> um, he talks about how he hated the tedious grind of study and the overwhelming pressure of his destiny. Like who does this all sound like? Buffy. Buffy. I think it's, it, it wouldn't be that easy of, of a correlation if we hadn't had like two back to back episodes of two different people who like are supposed to represent Buffy's like, being the chosen one and having like a, a death wish when they're young. Well, this whole conversation reminds me of Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, which ironically these same writers wrote, mm-hmm. um, where Giles talks about how his family, they've been watchers for generations and they wanted him to be a watcher and he didn't want to. Um, he talks about how he fell in with the worst crowd that would have him. They practice small magic for pleasure or gain, which going back to when we talk about magic in the witch episode – that's not what you're supposed to use magic for. You're supposed to use it for helping other people. You're not supposed to use witchcraft for your own personal gain. And he says he and Ethan discovered Igon. One of them would go into a deep sleep and the others would summon him. And it was an extraordinary high. And I think his face is interesting in this moment because he looks really excited or like kind of remembering back to how he felt in that. And then he said, God, we were fools as if remembering Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, 
think about the consequences of those actions. Yeah. Their friend Randall lost control of Igon. Igon took him whole. They tried to excise the demon from him, but they killed him. He says, we thought we were free of the demon after that, but now he's back. And one by one, he will kill us all. Which, Tabs, you're right. Like, this really reminds me of Angel Mm -hmm. a lot. And then it's interesting that they use Angel to get this demon out of him. Like, it's just, yeah, this is really clever. Yep. Um, So then Buffy figures out that it's going after Ethan and refuses to let Giles come with her since he's not doing well. Um, And Giles says, I don't know how to stop it without killing Jenny. And Buffy's like, we will try. I'm going to contain it as much as I can. And Giles says, Buffy, I'm sorry. And she says, I know. Oh, that conversation really reminds me of Buffy and Giles if the roles are flipped. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, how many times has Buffy screwed up and Giles is just like, I know you're sorry. And so it's like really interesting to see Buffy take on the role of like the more parental role in a way. I was about to say, without giving anything away too, like you'll see a lot more of like Buffy screwing up and then Giles just being super like supportive and like... He could easily like bang things on her head and be like, how dare you? But I think they both just have an understanding of each other and a mutual respect, which I feel like is really rare of like an older male who is like the watchers, who he's like over her for one. And then someone who's like a, a teenage girl for them to both like have mutual respect for each other and then to listen to each other and then like understand that the other person is sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I think that. This episode is so pivotal in the moving forward of their character development because we talked about how all of season one, it was like Giles didn't trust Buffy and then Buffy didn't trust Giles. And now we're like watching their trust be taken to a deeper level. And I think that this episode had to happen because Giles really had to fully open up to Buffy and be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So then in Ethan's shop, Buffy calls out for Ethan. She's trying to warn him that Igon is coming for him. She tells Ethan, I'm only saving you because it will help Giles. And Ethan says, how does Ripper inspire such goodness? And Buffy says, because he's Giles. Which Aww. this is Buffy saying she refers to him by his name Giles because he keeps wanting to say Ripper. And this is Ethan like continually trying to pull Giles down with him and pull him back into his past addictions and like keep him in that place and not let right. him grow. Or give him the benefit of the doubt. And Buffy's like, no, he's Giles, not Ripper. He's Giles. That's who he is. And I love that. I have so much to say, but I have to save it for Scooby Secrets. I know. (laughs) I have to to write down before I forget it. Yeah. We all know that names are powerful. And we also know that words are powerful. And so I think that Buffy refusing to call him Ripper or even Rupert, but saying Giles is her saying that she knows him fully and she's seen the good and the bad, but she knows that deep down he is a good person. Yeah. So Ethan mentions that they can't run since his mark is like a homing beacon. Buffy says, I'm not much into running. Ethan says, aren't we manly? Buffy says, one of us is. You're going to hide until this is over. (laughs) He says, good plan. Yeah. Which, okay, guys, do you remember in Halloween how Ethan called on the god Janus and how Janus is supposed to be kind of like the duality of our natures, the masculine and the feminine? I think that's really interesting because Ethan continually makes both masculine and feminine digs at Buffy. He literally says to Buffy, he goes, he says, are we manly? Like mocking her for her strength. And then Buffy wants to set up at the back door, but Ethan offers to let her go first, almost like, you know, he's being chivalrous. And then he says, ladies first, as he hits her over the head. And Mm -hmm. I think that's just really interesting showing how he doesn't 
take her seriously, how he's like mocked Giles for his quote unquote weakness and that he mocks Buffy for her strength. And I think that's really interesting because I think that Ethan actually has more in common with Igon than he'd like to let on. Well, they even use the same catchphrases too. Like there's a huge correlation between mm-hmm. both of them where it's like not only is Igon supposed to represent like Giles's past as the Ripper, but also Ethan as well. It's like there's the demon in you and then there's the flesh of you that's like it's going to be drawn towards that as well. Right. Well, and I think too, I think Ethan is supposed to be kind of the foil to Giles. Possibly Ethan was corrupted by Igon. And at the end of the day, Giles didn't let Igon corrupt him permanently, that Giles is a good person has moved on and has made something of himself versus Ethan is the same person he always has been Mm -hmm. and is just as corrupt. No remorse. Yeah, or, or worse. And so I think Ethan is trying to drag Giles down with him because it makes him feel better about himself and the mistakes that he's making. And all he's doing is just covering his own butt. Like, there's no remorse for killing Randall. There's, like, there's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, no, we never hear him talk about Randall. All he does is point fingers at Giles when he's just as much to blame. Well, I mean, it's easy, though. Like, Giles is kind of an easy target in this episode because he's already down on himself. So if I were Ethan, I would – I don't know, if I were evil like Ethan. (laughs) Not me now. But, like, he would be an easy target to blame everything on because he would easily spiral. Yeah, absolutely. So Ethan is going to tattoo Buffy with the Igon mark so that it will draw attention away from him, which like how evil do you have to be? And then he talks about how like karmically she's going to be doing good for the world by sacrificing herself for other people when I want to be like, dude, were you here for prophecy, girl? (laughs) I actually – I thought it was interesting that he said like – Sorry, Buffy, I actually do like you. I just like myself more. And so I thought it was interesting that he, like, recognizes that Buffy is a good person and that, like, Buffy fights for people. And I actually didn't take him, his whole karma bit, like, him kind of, like, gaslighting her or demeaning her. I really honestly thought he was trying to, like, make himself feel better by mm. just being, like... Like, this will be good for you. Like, you'll get good karma. You're, you'll you'll die a hero. Like, and I think that that's his whole scheme is he points the finger at other people so that he himself feels better. That's why I think that he always is constantly putting things on Giles is because he wants to feel like he's not the only bad person in the room. That's a really good point, Leah. And I think him saying at the very beginning to Buffy when he said, like, I'm honest, that's one of my virtues. And then he was like, no, it's not. But I really think that he, like, this guy is very flashy and showy. And if anything, he's very honest because he wants people to see him doing all the stuff because he wants the credit for it. I I actually think that honesty is one of his virtues. Yeah, no, I totally do as well. Like, I think he's corrupt and has a lot of faults, but I genuinely think he's very honest about things. Yeah. Even, I don't know. I just think it's so gross that he would have a young, teenage, seemingly helpless girl be the place of him in this situation. Ooh, that's a good point. A lot of times he talks about how women are weak, and I think that this Mm -hmm. is kind of like – Oh, this kind of like stems back to the whole like chosen one. He's kind of doing what like the Watchers uh, are doing with the Slayer in the sense that they choose a young girl to save their own skins. He's like, sorry, Buffy. And then they do – 
gaslight them and say, oh, hey, like, but you're saving the world. It's being okay. Heroic. This is you being yeah. heroic when mm-hmm. actually they have no choice. It's a, a mirror to Giles a little bit in this, but just a twisted Yeah. Moment. Oh, yeah. Ooh, this episode is deep. I'm like learning stuff all the time. But then he also like marks her and tattoos her kind of putting this like – Kind of um, like in the movie when she had the mole. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Let Ew. us never speak of it. Um, but kind of like branding her, being like, this is who you are. And then her being like, no, I don't want to be that. Like I never asked for that. But I think it's kind of like where he's like trying to place himself, all of his demons onto her now being like, this isn't my burden to bear. You have to take the front of it. But, and here's the thing. I know that the whole tattoo thing is supposed to be like a honing device or whatever, but I just think it's, that's so stupid because the demon is not stupid. It knows which people killed Randall. So when, and I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but when like Jenny comes in as the demon, he looks right at Ethan and was like, hmm, tattoo, went straight towards Buffy. I just think that's kind of dumb. You guys can disagree. But no, I'm just I agree. Like, you know. I agree. I mean, like the honing device thing is just a red herring. But I think it sounds better if the demon actually knows them and is like pinpointing them exactly, not necessarily right. because of the I tattoo. Agree. But they had to put yeah. Buffy in some sort of danger. Right. And I think if we're looking at the deeper metaphor of like drug addiction and stuff like that too, this is kind of a sad moment of like a adult figure introducing like a minor to drugs or getting them started on this path when they're so young and then gaslighting and saying, you know, like, oh, this is your fault or you're the one that's choosing this, you know, like I just think that the metaphor is very interesting and very sad. So anyway. Mm -hmm. So Willow's complete transformation into Giles is nearly finished as she is now drinking tea. (laughs) Well, I also just like this whole scene is really interesting because you have Xander and Cordelia kind of going at it and like you see Willow just like really step up and just be Mm -hmm. like, guys, like pull it together. If you don't want to be here, get out of my library. But like I'm doing actual work here and I can't sit here and babysit you guys. Like I just thought it was a really powerful moment for Willow to stand up for herself like that. And it's just very interesting that both of them are just immediately like, okay, sorry. Like, because they recognize, like, when Willow means something, like, she means it. Okay, and I also clocked. She did the exact same hey. She's like, hey. <laughs> it's the, I literally have nailed it at this point. It's the third time. But I <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's funny because I feel like every time she does it, she's at her wit's end when it comes to stuff. She's just, like, so irritated. Well, she stood up to Giles and Angel, and now she stood up to Cordelia and Xander. And I just, I have so much respect for Willow. I think that she knows what needs to be done, and she really, like, she stepped into the role that Giles has vacated temporarily, and she's done a really good job of it. Um, Also, can we talk about that tension between Xander and Cordelia? Because let me tell you, they were both, like, fighting, and then they got really close to each other. And I was like, whoo, I was starting to, like... Catch something other than just like, you know, enemies here. (laughs) I was about to say, I did not realize they knew each other for 12 years. They do not have the vibes of knowing each other for 12 years. Yeah, they do. What do you mean? (laughs) Why else would they get under each other's like nerves? Maybe now, but in the beginning of the show, I would have never thought that they had known each other for that long. No, I feel like it totally makes sense. So then Xander suggests that they find another dead body for the demon to jump into, but Willow knows that won't kill the demon, only give it a change of scenery. And then she like, it clicks and she figures it out. 
Um, in Ethan's shop, Ethan's finished that tattoo, and Buffy is still sawing her rope on that very convenient nail. <laughs> uh, and then Ethan pours acid on his arm. Ow. Oh, my God. How do you know how much acid to pour on your arm? What? Oh, okay, okay. Oh, and then God. he just ties it yeah. up with the rope afterwards. Like, what? And that? he doesn't even, like, scream or cry. It's, like, barely even blinks. He just is like, also, your skin has got to be, like, bubbling afterwards. Why would you put, like, material over it? Because the first thing I think Cold is, water. like, your, your skin's, well, your skin is literally melting. So, like, putting material on top of that, it's going to stick to it because it's going to dry. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, it's like what I mean. Just think about when you have a sunburn. Like, you don't want to, like, have, yeah, anything stick. Yeah. No. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, but that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, that's got to hurt. Why would you put, like, material on it immediately? That is the most unrealistic part of this entire episode right there. Yep. I feel like we say that every episode and it's always like something stupid compared to like, you know, the demons <laughs> prancing around for the entire episode. I know. Like that's out of a list. Yeah, like, geez. It's always the stuff that happens in real life that you're like, ooh, yeah, that would hurt. Gosh, yeah. So even, well, I hate to mutilate and run. Oh, wait, no, before that, sorry. Giles has another vision. Okay, this one's interesting. And this, I think, kind of goes into your theory, Tabby, because – Giles has a vision of what is happening, like either in the present or is what's going to happen in the future, which, which is so is weird. really weird. So the only yeah. explanation for that is Igon is purposely showing him that to bait him and get him and yeah, them all I in the same it. spot, which is goes to your theory tabs that Igon knows Giles personally and it doesn't so much matter about the mark. Well, I mean, I I have a feeling he just wants to kill everyone who was part of that seance and and or the people that have already been inside, like he's been inside them. But if he's going out of his way to put visions inside Giles, he personally has a vendetta against people on the list. So why is he going after Buffy? It just, in my mind, that doesn't make any sense. To harm uh, Giles? Yeah, like he he's baiting Giles. No, and no, I'm saying he would go Ethan. after Buffy to hurt Giles. I mean, I guess, but they didn't edit it like that. They edited it as if he was like smelling or sensing the tattoo. And I mean, it, it could be, it could be both. It could be they will kill anyone with the mark, but they also are planning on, or guys planning on killing everyone part of the seance. Sure. It could be like, oh, might as well. She has the tattoo. I'll kill her first. Yeah. It's then- like, oh, I'll get her death over with quick so that I can kill everyone else slowly. I think it also goes back to my theory that there's a part of Igon that's never going to leave Giles um, in the sense that, like, I mean, Giles hasn't had Igon in him for 20 plus years, and yet he's still having these dreams and these visions and stuff. Well, so is uh, Ethan. Ethan. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I wonder, like, once Igon dies, does it stop leaving? Like, does Giles obviously stop getting the dreams and the visions, but, like, does whatever part of him that had Igon in it – does that like die as well? So I don't know. Anyway, I guess we'll have to just wait and see. So Ethan says, well, I hate to mutilate and run. <laughs> okay, Ethan. <laughs> and then this part is terrifying. See the shadow of Jenny slash Igon out the door with like the green light behind it. Like creepy. I don't know. I found this kind of cheesy. I was like, why are they just throwing out like a green light? And then she walks up and then you see it just kind of like shut off. Like the lights just shut off for it. Oh, I thought it was kind of cool. I don't know. And then the door like just like slowly opens. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. 
Jenny fully looks like Igon now because they got like the ears and everything. Um, and then it's weird because like Igon smells Buffy's tattoo. I was like, wait, what? And then like pushes Ethan out of the way. Doesn't smell his uh, burning flesh, but smells yeah. her tattoo. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what's that smell? So Giles rushes in, says, Igon, take me, Buffy, get out of here. Which, again, is showing the parallels between Buffy and Giles because this scene reminds me in Prophecy Girl when Buffy hits Giles and goes and sacrifices herself to the master. Mm-hmm. So it's like Giles really has taken on the full role of Buffy in this episode. Well, and then again, a correlation between Ethan and Giles. Ethan is literally making Buffy take his place when she's done nothing wrong as an innocent. And then Giles is like, no, take me. And he takes Buffy's place. You know, there's a contrast between what Giles and Ethan are doing. And both of them have been exposed to the same monster. And both of them have made the same mistakes. One is taking responsibility and one isn't. So, Giles steps in, tries to take Buffy's place. Then Buffy runs over and stands in front of Giles and tries to like take his place as well. So you see mm-hmm. both of them trying to save each other. It's just beautiful. And Igon just like flings them both away like they're nothing. And then um, Angel rushes in, which I'm like, oh, yeah, Angel. Like, <laughs> I always forget about this plot twist. Yeah. Um, and Angel grabs Igon by the throat and Giles is worried that he's killing her. And Willow's like, no, 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 it's going to work. They fight it out. Um, and I, I personally really like this moment. I thought that the, the CGI was actually like fairly good, um, mm-hmm. for its time. Just how you see Angel, the, the demon that's inside, I guess, Angelus, and then, um, Igon all like fighting it out inside mm-hmm. of Angel's head. It was just, it was really cool. I don't know if this is me really reaching in this moment, but I feel like it's kind of like, symbolic of somebody who's gone through fighting their own demons Ooh, and yes. is helping out somebody and it's been like yes. i'm there for you i'm gonna help you fight it mm-hmm. yeah and i'm gonna That's help you through it and yeah. so like he's like i've had a demon in me who has been waiting for a good fight so it's like he's been waiting for somebody who can he can share his life with you can help mm. with um i mean you don't, you don't see like the actual like like them talking and like you know having therapy sessions and stuff like that because Buffy would be boring if we all did that. The whole point of it is to show it in supernatural form. So in my mind, I kind of view it like that. I don't know if that's me reaching, but it's kind of cool that they had somebody who like physically has a demon with them who's gone through stuff that we've heard about, we haven't seen it, and has a dark past just like Giles does. So he's like physically beating through his demon. That's a really good comparison. And I think it's also cool because we've seen Angel and Giles both kind of develop a bit of a friendship and mutual respect. And so I think that it's kind of cool to see like parallels between Angel and Giles and mm-hmm. like Angel coming in and walking alongside Giles, but also being kind of like, hey, like I can relate and helping. Also, I think incredibly creepy too, because like we've heard about Angelus and then like we've seen how powerful Igon is and the fact that like the demon inside Angel, Angelus can beat Igon rather quickly is a little bit like a testament. It's scary, but it's also a little bit of a testament to like how actually like terrible Angel slash Angelus is. Or any vampire, like even though it at first glance might seem like a um, convenience, a plot convenience, sure. I kind of like it because the whole point of the show is to have like vampires is kind of like the top when it comes to demons that she has to face. And so the fact that Angel a vampire, his demon out, like, beat another random demon. I, I think it's very consistent with the show because it's showing, like, 
this is a greater demon. This is something that Buffy has to face all the time. This is rough. Even though Igon is scary, mm. I think it's kind of scarier to have a demon that looks and talks like a mm. man and yet is not. Yeah, that's true. Man tabs, you're so eloquent tonight. I'm like, this is not this is not normal. So you can ask them. And I'm sure when we have people come on the show, I have to repeat myself several times. I don't know what's happening tonight. I will, I will go back to being a gibberish fool next week, I promise. I just feel like I can't talk. I'm like, Tabby, translate for me. Let's go. It's normally the other way around. Like Sarah's Sarah knows what I mean. Well, like Leah's over here, like, and I think that this is the reason why this album, like, whoa. <laughs> and you guys are like, we don't like, have anything for the episode. And I was like, I have so much. And then I'm like, but, but, I thought I didn't. I like, we went into this before we started like recording. And I was like, I think I only have like two things to say that are foreshadowing or anything that's like of interest because I don't necessarily like this episode. But this is the beauty of Buffy. And this is why I decided to do a podcast because. You break down the episodes you wouldn't normally watch, and then you find stuff that's interesting and that is intelligent about this mm-hmm. episode. May it not be my favorite, but it's very intelligently done. Yeah, absolutely. So Buffy says to Willow, you knew that if the demon was in trouble, it would jump into the nearest dead person. Angel put it in danger, says the demon in him was just waiting for a good fight. And then Buffy looks at Angel and says, winner and still champion. So sweet. Oh, my goodness. And then Ethan's gone again. What a butthead. I mean, as a good disappearing act on lock. Well, I think he's just – he takes advantage of the fact that people are going to clean up his mess and just decides to take off. And I'm sure we'll see him again. He's a good foil for Giles. So I'm kind of glad that he isn't gone in that respect. But at the same time, I kind of want to see Buffy whoop him. <laughs> so back at the school, Buffy's like, I was saving up for some really nice shoes, but I have to pay to have that tattoo gone before my mom notices. As she's wearing a tank top with like a teeny tiny little scarf. Like, woman. She she walks by and I'm like, girly, that scarf would not cover it. And we see 90% of your upper back and it's still not even there. Come on. Come on. Xander thinks that putting the demon in Angel was brilliant. And Buffy thinks that Willow should be a watcher. And Willow's like, no, I don't think so. And she doesn't see how Giles does it. And Buffy says, I don't think he has a choice. I love this like ending scene because I think that it it shows that Buffy has a newfound appreciation for Giles. Mm -hmm. One, knowing what he's gone through. But two, also... I think she kind of sees more of herself in him and that she recognizes that both of them had to be stuck on a path that they were not initially wanting. And so, like, she kind of feels for him and she sees him more so as a human and less of, like, this perfect person. Yeah, that's a really good point, Leah. I totally agree. And I think also, too, like, again, it's a metaphor for drugs, too. Like, Willow's like, I don't know how Giles fights every day. And Buffy's like, he doesn't have a choice. He has to keep fighting, too, you know? Yeah. Just so clever. Oh, in this scene, Giles tries to talk to Jenny. My heart. Rip it down yeah. and shred it. Jenny's just coping, but you could tell she needs distance away from Giles and she won't let him touch her. She's oh, no. backing away. And he's like, and he's being so earnest. Like he's not trying to pry. He just wants to know how she's doing. He's concerned. He's like, but you're all right. Is there something you need? And she's like, I'm fine. I mean, I'm not running around wind in my hair. The hills are alive with the sound of music. Fine, but I'm mm. coping. I mean, it's so sad because when he talks to Buffy afterwards, she asks him, 
if everything's okay. And he says, the hills are not alive. She's like, I'm sorry to hear that, I think. Like, she has no idea what's going on. <laughs> Only us viewers know what that means. Right. She's like, oh. And Giles says, I don't think she'll ever forgive me. Maybe she shouldn't. And then Buffy, her next line is so potent. She says, maybe you should by saying mm. you need to forgive yourself first, yeah. which I think is so insightful. But I also think that Buffy has a little bit of experience with helping guys kind of get over like yeah. forgetting themselves because she's been helping Angel in like getting over his past like regrets and stuff. And so I think that she recognizes a tortured soul when she sees one. Yeah. yeah okay. And this is the line I've been waiting for because like we talked about the brilliance of having this episode right after Lie to Me. Mm -hmm. So Lie to Me ends with her being like, this is all too much. Can you just lie to me and tell me everything's okay? She doesn't want to know stuff. And then she's like physically being forced into a dialogue with someone who knows everything and that she goes to and then has to bring him out of his darkness. And so she says, I'm not going to lie. It was scary. I'm used to you being, you know, the grown up. And then I find out you're a person. And so like she says, like, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it to you like you did with me because I'm going to give you the respect of knowing how I felt about it. I'm not going to lie. It was scary. And she's like, I'm used to seeing you as somebody who's kind of like helping me go through stuff. And then I had to physically help you go through stuff. Yeah. She says, I'm used to you being a grown up. Then I found out that you're a person. And he says, most grown ups are. Some are even mm -hmm. short sighted, foolish people. And she says, so after all that, we found out that we actually do have something in common, which I think is okay. Aww. Oh, so sweet. So sweet. And then, and then she pulls out the CD or she's like, Hey, I think we need to like be training right now. And he's like, Oh yeah, we need to work on your flexibility and your agility. And she like pulls out the CD and she's like, I think I know what we're going to listen to. And she's like, you can say it. And he's like, it's not music. It's just noise. And she's like, feel better. And he's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> so good. And again, too, like everything is intentional, but I really liked at the very end, like they're getting ready to go into the library and Giles holds open the door for her. And I think that with all the digs that um, Ethan Rain was making, like he even said, oh no, you first, like he motions to let Buffy go first and then he hits her over the head versus Giles is like opening the door, letting Buffy go first. And But he respects her and he sees her as an equal and he doesn't belittle her for her strengths. It's just I like it's just very intentional and yeah, I just love it. Yep. I love reading the scripts and what they write down for like descriptions of what they have to do. So he's like, the Bay City Rollers, now that's music. And then it says, uh, Buffy has an I don't know you look. Oh, God. <laughs> and then end of show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was... That was not my favorite episode, but I can appreciate it. I think it was it was well done in what they were trying to convey and um, the character development they needed to get across. I agree. And it made me appreciate it more having to break it down. Like, this is my favorite part of doing the podcast is like going into episodes like, my gosh, here we go again. But Teacher's Pet, where it's like, I <laughs> no! absolutely I hate the episode. Made it an episode. <laughs> I know. I hate the episode, but we had fun while doing it, whereas – it's kind of the same with thing with this one, but I have learned a lot more and appreciated this episode for what it was, which is always fun to do. And 
We have a lot to talk about in the spoiler section. Let us know, you guys, what you thought of The Dark Age. Did you guys enjoy this episode? Is it not your favorite? What do you think about all of the symbolism about drug addiction? Let us know what you guys think about the deeper themes. What do you think about Giles' character development? For you newer viewers, did you see this coming? Did you see Giles' darker side? Um, and do you guys want to see Ethan Rain again? We want to know. As always, you guys can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast, or you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next time.